Hey, I want to uh, talk to you this morning. We're going to start at Matthew. And um, my message is called Watch Where You Sit. And we're going to start at Matthew 28. And I just want to speak to you this morning. Hopefully it's something that will really, really help you. But we're going to crack straight into it this morning. It says, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. There was a violent earthquake and for an, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and he sat on it. Everybody say sat on it. Can we do that a little bit better? There we go. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. This may sound like it's starting off to be an Easter message, but it's not. The angel, it says here, came and he sat on it. I, I don't know about you, but how did you pick your seat this morning? Because there's two kinds of people, eh, when it comes to sitting. There's those that just go and find a spot anywhere and they just sit themselves down on it. Yeah. Are you with me? And then there are those that are really strategic about their city. You just have to go to the movies with somebody and when they go, where would you like to sit? And it takes some people like, does anybody know people like this? It takes like half an hour. They're working out where the screen is, where the exits are. They're strategically, is that too far to the front? Is it too far to the back? Is it the center of the screen? Am I going to have the right distance? Like, you know the sort of people I'm talking about? They're like completely and totally strategic. I mean, sometimes as a parent, you've got to be a little bit strategic about where you sit in case your kid goes ballistic. You want to get out the exit as fast as possible, yeah? And so there are two kinds of people. There are people that just sit wherever they want, and then there are other people that are really strategic about where they sit, be it on a plane, I'm quite strategic about where I sit on a plane. If it's a long flight, I want an aisle seat. If it's a short flight, I want a window seat. i got it all planned out because on a short flight, I'll sleep and I don't need to get up and go to the toilet. But on a long flight, I don't want to be the guy crammed in by the window climbing over 50,000 people to get out to go to the toilet. Are you with me? All right, so we can get quite strategic. Why? Because where we sit actually matters. And I'm not talking about this morning where you physically sit, I, I want to talk to you this morning about where your soul sits, where your mind, your will, and your emotions, which is your soul, where does it sit? Because there are two things that are incredibly important when it comes to sitting down. The, the two things are this, is where you sit and why you sit. When you sit down, there are two things. There's where you sit and the reason why you sat there. So I decided to study the Bible of all the people that sat. There's a lot of people that sat in the Bible. And not all of them sitting meant really anything. But what I did discover is a lot of the places where they sat meant something significant. And in 1 Kings 19, we have the story of Elijah. And it says here that Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to the broom bush, sat down under it. Everybody say, sat down under it. And prayed that he might die. 
Elijah had just uh, called down fire from heaven. He had just killed 400 uh, prophets of Baal. He had just declared the ending of a drought. And then Jezebel, Ahab's wife, the queen, threatened to kill him. And so he ran for his life. And he was so depressed and so suicidal that he ran for his life. He sat under the broom bush and he prayed that he would die. Not only did Elijah here physically sit himself down, but he sat his soul down in this place as well. He wasn't just a physical thing that he did here, but he sat his soul down under the broom bush. And he was suicidal in that moment. He was suicidal because he was asking God that he would, that he would die as he's sitting here under the broom bush. And like I said to you, the fact that he sat doesn't always have some significance, but where he sat has real significance. And there are three things about the broom bush that I think are really important to help you to understand this morning that where you sit your soul really matters. Where you place your mind and your will and your emotions really matter. The first thing about the broom bush is that, is that it grows in a dry place. The broom bush always grows in the desert region. It grows in the dry place. And if you're in a dry place, friend, you might want, might want to consider where you're about to sit. If you're ever sitting in a place where it's dry and weary and desertous, we need to check our soul to say, hey, I, I'm probably not sitting in a good place right now. This is probably not the place that I need to sit if I want to be in a fruitful place. The first thing is that the broom bush is in a dry place. Elijah sat in a dry place. The second thing is this, is that the broom bush produces a bitter root. The broom bush was a bush where you could eat the roots and they were edible, but the only time that people ever ate the roots of the broom bush was if they were in complete poverty and they had no other option but to eat it in a desperate situation. I don't think anybody would turn around and say, hey, you know, man, I just feel like a little bit of broom bush root today. Is anybody, it's like, oh, lunch, sorted. Um, nobody thinks that way, nobody feels that way, but if you were poor and if you were struggling and if you were in a very difficult place, if you didn't have anywhere else to turn to, you would eat, according to Scripture, the root of the broom bush. In fact, it says in Job chapter 30, it says, they were gaunt from poverty and hunger. They clawed the dry ground in desolate wastelands. They plucked wild greens from among the bushes and they ate the roots of the broom tree. You see, if we're not careful about where we sit our soul, we can end up not just sitting in a dry place, but we can end up sitting in a bitter place. We can end up sitting in a place where we feed on the root of bitterness. And if we're not careful and we allow ourselves to sit under the broom bush of unforgiveness, where we're held onto things that we need to let go, you will start to eat from the root of that thing. The third thing about the broom bush is this, is that they used to use the twigs from the broom bush for bindings. They used to use it for rope to bind things up. And I think this is so symbolic for us to understand that here is Elijah, who's suicidal, who runs to a dry place, sat down under a place where the roots are bitter, and he ends up becoming bound in that very place. Where you sit matters. 
Where you sit your soul, your emotions matter. Elijah had run to a place that he should never have gone to, to a source to which he should never have partaken of. And he was bound by it. And we have to watch where our souls sit and make sure that our souls are sitting in places that they shouldn't be sitting, but sitting in the right place. You see, there's two things that we read earlier about the angel, and I just want to remind you of those two scriptures. It's in 1 Kings 19, it says about Elijah that he came to the broom bush and he sat under it and prayed that he might die. But in Matthew, it says there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and he sat on it. Elijah sat under it, the angel sat on it. Can you see the slight difference here? That one sat under, one sat on. I mean, the angel really could have come and done anything. He could have come down and just kind of hovered over the tomb, you know, flapping his wings a little bit, you know, just, he could have done whatever he wanted. I mean, obviously, it's pretty amazing. He looked like lightning and and uh, it was as white as snow and stuff like that. Probably the impression that Trinity gets of me every morning when she wakes up and sees me lying next to her. He could have done whatever he wanted. He didn't have to sit on the stone. He could have hovered. He could have stood there. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. But I, I believe there's a real reason why the angel sat on the stone. And, and I want us to understand something here that if you think about that he sat on the stone, he sat on the stone which represented the very thing that the enemy had rolled in front of the tomb to contain and keep Jesus, to stop him from getting out. The very thing that the devil tried to stop you with can become the very thing that you sit on and declare the goodness of God about. The very thing that that the enemy tried to roll in front of the tomb to contain Jesus was the very thing that the angel sat on to declare the goodness of the resurrection Christ. Come on. What the enemy has tried to roll in front of you, if you would learn to sit on it, it would become the very thing that you proclaim the goodness of God from. What is it that the enemy has tried to roll in front of you? What circumstance are you facing? What issue are you going through? What financial struggle are you facing right now? What relational issue are you seeing right now? What is it that the devil is trying to do with everything he's got to roll in front of you so that you can't do what it is that God has called you to do? Because you can either sit under your circumstances or you can sit on them, but you can't do both. You're either going to sit under them or you're going to sit on them, but you can't do both. And what we have to understand is what was meant to be defeat ended up becoming a seat that he was able to sit on to declare. The very thing that the enemy is trying to use to destroy you is the very thing that if you would learn to sit on it instead of under it would be the very thing that you get to declare his majesty from. See, where you sit doesn't just impact you, but it actually impacts those around you. In 2 Kings, it says this, that the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well 
in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab all I had a mind to do. Your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel for the fourth, to the fourth generation. In other words, he's saying to Jehu, because you have run this kingdom the way that I told you to, because you have got it back on track after Ahab, because you have followed me and done what I've asked you to do, because of your actions, the throne will have your great, 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 great grandchildren sitting on it. The generations that come after you will be affected by the fact that you didn't sit under, but you sat on. Your descendants will never, ever, Jehu, sit under this anymore, but they will sit on it because of the decisions that you've made. Dads, can I say to you today, if you'll sit on your temper, your kids will never sit under it. Mums, if you would sit on your anxiety, your kids will never sit under it. If you would sit on the curse of debt and start paying it off, then maybe your kids will never, ever sit under it. See, where you sit does not only influence you, but it influences those around you. And if you're negative, then others will be too. And if you're depressed, then others will be too. If you sit on it, if you sit on it though, others will never sit under it. If you would learn to sit on your circumstances, then those around you will never ever have to sit under it. There are people here in this room that were the first people in their families to find Christ. And because they found Christ, that the generations that have come after them are not having to sit under the things that they've had to sit on. Are you hearing me this morning? Some of you have got a lineage in your family tree of drunkenness and all sorts of stuff, but because you made a decision that you would follow Christ, that you give your life to Him, that now line has ceased, that the generations after you don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that looks like in my family, and my kids don't know what that looks like in their family, because eight generations ago, someone in my family made a decision that they were going to become a follower of Christ and then became a pastor. And now we have eight generations of that. Why? Because of the decision that they made. Not the decision that I made, but because of the decision that they decided to sit on top of instead of sitting under. My beautiful wife is in this room with me because her parents decided that they would follow Christ and not sit under, but sit on. And there's a line that has been drawn in the sand of their family line now that knows the goodness of God because of it. So how do, we, how do we sit on rather than sit under? I don't think any of us want to sit under our circumstances. So how do we sit on rather than sit under? Hebrews 12 gives us some clues. It says here that, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us froth everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How do, how do we do that? How do we run out this race that's marked out for us? It's really simple. By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. You see, sometimes I think, that we misunderstand Jesus sometimes. Sometimes I think that we think Jesus is just this really good guy that got up one morning and was like, 
you know what I might do today? I might go to the cross. That would be fun. Tough crowd this morning. Uh, Jesus was not this person that turned around and said, if I could do anything with my life, it would be to die on the cross. Yes, he is. No, no. Because if you look at the story in the Garden of Gethsemane, he spends time anguishing to the point where he is sweating drops of blood saying, God, if there is any other way that this can be done, if there's some other way that this can happen, can we do it that way? But then he turns around and says, but not my will, but yours be done. He, he didn't go to the cross because he was like, man, this will be fun. He went to the cross, the very thing that he despised because of what it represented, the sin of the world, he went to it and he endured it for the joy set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? The joy that was set before him was you and I, that relationship with God. That was the joy that was set before him. He was able to look past the cross at the joy of seeing what was on the other side of the cross. He battled through the Garden of Gethsemane and he made the choice in Gethsemane that he was going to refuse to sit under it and that he was going to sit on top of it. And in Hebrews verse 3 goes on, it says this, and he sat down, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He sat down for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despised its shame, and he sat down at the right hand, the hand of authority in heaven with God. He is seated at the throne. That is where your king sits. He sits on the throne. Not under sin, not under the circumstances, but he sits on top of it. He sits on the throne at the right hand of God. And I want to tell you that on my drive home from work sometimes, you know, when I'm driving home, I have to, when I'm exhausted and when I'm frustrated and when I'm feeling angry at some things and stuff like that, I have to make a choice on the drive home that before I walk into the doorway and say hello to my family, I have to make a decision. Am I going to bring, am I going to be under my day or am I going to be on top of my day? Am I going to be under my circumstances or am I going to sit on it? Am I going to sit under it or sit on it? Because you know what? My family can't afford me to be sitting under my day when I walk through that door because then they will sit under what I've been sitting under. What is it that you are choosing every single day of your life? Because we get to choose. We get to choose where we sit, our mind, our will, and our emotions. I don't know whether you're one of these people or not, but I reckon there's some people in life that are really, they get really excited about saving seats. Have you ever, have you ever gone to like a conference or, a, or like a concert? Like some people went to a U2 concert last night. Um, they're not my friends because I tried to get tickets to U2 and I couldn't get any. And not one of them bothered to say, hey, you can come with me. So they're not my friends anymore. They didn't save me a seat. 
Boy, you're tough today, eh? I'm the one that's had an operation this week. I should be the sad one. And, uh, you know, like, can you save me a seat? And you go, sometimes you go into a conference and it's like a whole row, you know, like, I, I, I can just imagine this happens at Sisters with our church. There's like sweatshirts, jackets, and Bibles all across rows. Everyone's saving seats. Seat save, the seat save, the seat. Yeah, they love saving seats for people. I don't really like saving seats for people. But there is a term that is used in psychology, and it's called the seat of your emotions. Because the brain actually has three areas to the brain. Some of you sitting here this morning are like, I'm pretty sure my husband doesn't even have one part to his brain. But there are three parts to the brain. I've got to pick on the guys because if I pick on the girls, I'll be killed afterwards. But there's three parts to the function of a typical brain. The first part is the survival brain. The survival brain is really good because it actually doesn't take a lot of thinking. You don't really have to use your survival brain. It's the most basic part of your brain. It's dedicated to your physical survival. It controls your heartbeat, your respiration, your reproduction, your reflex, your instincts. You don't have to think about breathing. You just do it, yes? Aren't you glad that that part of your brain works? Congratulations. If you're breathing today, your survival brain is still intact. The second thing is your logical brain. The second part of your brain is your logical brain. And the logical brain is the last part to develop. And when I start to explain this part, every parent will understand what I'm talking about. This part of your brain is where your executive skills are, like your planning, your weighing alternatives, your decision-making, and the regulation of your emotional impulses. This part of your brain doesn't fully form until your mid-20s. So no... Your teenager is not psychotic, they just have a part of their brain that hasn't been formed yet. And then the third part of your brain is the emotional brain. You actually have an aspect of your brain which decides when your emotions are going to take a seat. Your, your brain is constantly at war with itself, battling do I punch that guy in the face or do I not? <laughs> There's some people that laugh. You're obviously this kind of person that I'm like. Because when somebody says something really dumb to me, my first thought is not, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they do. My first thought is, blows from a friend cleanses away evil. It's, you know, it's my first thought. Our brain is literally battling all the time with these emotions, trying to make a decision in our brain. And this part of our brain is actually called, as you would have heard before, the seat of our emotions. It's the place our emotions sit in our brain. In Philippians, it says this. It says in verse, chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, it says, Do not be anxious. Everyone say, Be anxious. Do not be anxious. This is not a suggestion. This is not God, like, this is, this is how things work in my house. I don't know if it works in your house. But Trinity will say something like, I thought you might like to make me a cup of tea. That is not, I thought you might like. That is, can you make me a cup of tea? I thought you might like to cook dinner. Nope, nope, wouldn't like to do that at all. It's not actually a question. It's actually an instruction. There's, 
Anybody understand where I'm coming from? I thought you might like to drive down to the supermarket and get me some chocolate. No, actually, I don't like to do that at all. I'm quite comfortable sitting here on the couch. It's not a, you might like, it's like you need to do this. It's, it's an instruction. You, you with me. Jesus here is not saying, I thought you might like to not be anxious. He said, do not, do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God. Whose peace? which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, the only way to get protection of your emotions is by not being anxious and presenting your request to Him and then letting His, it's His peace. It's His peace that surpasses all understanding, which guards our hearts and guards our minds, we get to decide where our emotions, where our souls, where our thoughts, where our minds are going to take a seat by saying, you know what, I'm not going to be anxious, I'm going to, by prayer and supplication, I'm going to sit them with Him. When we get to decide this, we get to make this decision. It's up to you. It's up to you, and it's up to me to save a seat for the right emotion. To save the seat for the right emotion. I have to tell fear in my life, sorry, seat's taken. I have to tell anger in my life, sorry, seat's taken, you can't sit here. I have to tell anxiety in my life, sorry, seat's taken, you can't sit here. I have to tell the insecurities in my life, sorry, seat taken, you can't sit here. Because I get to choose where my emotions sit. Second Corinthians says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And we have to say to those emotions that start to rage on the inside of us, sorry, seat taken. You can't sit here. This seat has been saved for joy. This seat has been saved for peace. That surpasses all understanding. You don't get to sit here. This seat is taken. And when you're sitting there, fear starts creeping in. You have to say, I'm sorry, this seat is already taken. You can't sit here. I'm saving it for joy. Uh, When anxiety comes and self-pity comes, you have to say, I'm sorry, this seat is saved. Only joy can sit here. You don't get to sit here. The seat is taken. You have to save those seats for the right emotions. And the angel showed us here that our rightful seat is to sit right on top of the very thing that the enemy would use to try to destroy us. There's the very thing that we're meant to sit on top of. Those things that try to hold God back from your life is the very thing that we're not meant to sit under, but we're meant to sit on top of. The seat has been saved for you. The scripture teaches us this. I don't know about you, but there's nothing better when somebody saves you a seat, especially when you're like at a conference or you're at a concert and and you're kind of running late and somebody has saved you a seat 
and you just kind of power up past all the people that are trying to get into seats and you just make your way to the front because there's somebody waving at the front saying, I saved you a seat right at the front. Has anybody ever had that experience? I got good friends with a guy called Scott Thornton who's a pastor at Life and we went there once, one Sunday morning when we were on holiday and, and then he saw me down the back and he waves to me and he goes, tells me we come all the way up the front and he makes some of the other pastors shift off the front seat he goes there's your seat I saved it for you so it's nothing better than that eh? you kind of feel like Whoa. here's the thing though he saved us a seat not because of anything that I had done he was able to shift some people on to save those seats for me because of the authority that he had come on come on not because I had done something, not because I was special, not because I, but because he had the authority to say, hey, you need to shift out of these seats because these seats are saved for them. Jesus has saved a seat for you. There's a seat that's been saved for you. Jesus paid a debt that you and I could not pay and he paid it an absolute full. There's nothing that we could do to pay that debt. He paid the debt for us. And he cleared the way and he said, hey, you need to move out of the way because I've saved these seats for them. When it comes to when we mess up, the righteousness of Christ, the, the scriptures teaches, demands and invites and begs us to come to the front lines and be seated in our rightful place. In Ephesians it says that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You are not sitting on a chair only this morning, but the scripture says that we are seated with him. Where is he seated? He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You are not under your circumstances. You sit on the throne with him in spiritual places and in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for it is by grace you have been saved and if you're a Christ follower friend that means that a seat has been saved for you that through faith and this is not by yourselves it is a gift by God not by works so that no one can boast how cool is that is that I have a seat saved for me that Jesus saved me a seat with him in heavenly places. Revelation says this, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And what he's trying to say to you this morning, friend, is I have saved you a seat. And it's not under your emotions, it's on the throne with me. Where you sit matters. And I feel like God is saying this morning that he's saying, hey, you need to check your ticket. I was on the plane going down to uh, Gisborne the, the other week and I get on the, on the plane with, with um, Calvin Matthews from Woku, pastor there. And, and, um, and I'm thinking because we booked the tickets together that we're sitting together. And we get onto the plane and he's like seat. 550,000, you know, all the way down the back of the plane. And uh, I just get on with him and I follow him down to the back of the plane. I don't even notice what my seat number is. I just know that it's D. 
And so I just sit down beside him thinking, well, when we book the tickets together, they must be together. And anyway, this guy comes up to me and he goes, um, you're sitting in my seat. And I'm like, uh, I don't think so, pal. Uh, he says to me, you need to check your ticket. And I'm like, and by then the air hostess has come down. And she comes up to me and she goes, Mr. Jordan. It's like, ooh, <laughs> she knows my name. Your seat is at the front of the plane, not down here. You need to check your ticket. Some of you have sat down the back for way too long. You've sat down the back thinking that God can't use you, God can't do anything with me. I'm not good enough. I've got too much anxiety. I've got too much this. I've got too much that. I've, I, 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 my, I'm, I'm just glad I'm on the plane. I'm just glad I'm on the plane. I might be down, right down the back by the toilet where everybody leaves their smells and everything, but at least I'm on the plane. I thank Jesus I am on the plane. Some of you think that your salvation is like, I'm, I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth, but thank God I'm holding on by the skin of my teeth. But you need to check your ticket. Because Jesus doesn't say that your seat is down the back of heaven. He doesn't say that your seat is down the back. He says, hey, your seat is right up here with me on my throne. Your seat is not under your anxiety and your seat is not under your addiction. Your seat is not under your relational problems. Your seat is not under your financial difficulty. Your seat is not under your health. Your seat is not under your circumstances. Your seat is not under your upbringing. Your seat is not under the alcoholism. Your seat is not under the drug addiction. Your seat, if you check your ticket, is on the throne with me because we sit on the very things that the enemy tries to use to destroy us so we can de declare the glory of God and say, he's not in here, he has risen. And the stuff that has been rolled over my heart has been rolled away and I sit on it and it's no longer I that live, that Christ that lives in me. Some of you this morning, you gotta check your ticket. You're sitting in the wrong seat. You're not called to sit down the back. You're called to sit on the throne with him. Maybe we've run away to a dry place. Maybe we've held on to unforgiveness and we've been eating on the roots of bitterness. Maybe we've then discovered that in all of that, it's bound us up and it's held us restricted. But I want to tell you this morning that Elijah didn't end there. It says that Elijah went to heaven on a flaming chariot. He didn't even experience death. He went straight to heaven on a flaming chariot. That's a kind of like, sir, uh, you're in the wrong seat, first class. Come on, man. I don't know what seat you're sitting in this morning, but it's not the seat that God has for you. It's not the seat that he created for you. He saved you a seat. You need to check your ticket. And you need to step out from the back, step out from the stuff that you've been struggling with, step out from the things because God wants to bring you out of where you are into the level that he has for you. The Bible says that we are seated with him in heavenly places. The beauty of us followers of Christ is that we get to live in two places. We get to live here, but we get to sit there. And when I see my life from the heaven seating perspective, when I sit in that heavenly realm with him, 
that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every voice that rises up against me shall be defeated. That by his stripes we are healed. Come on, come on. That he has given us the power to make wealth. But when you're seated in the right seat, you see things from the right perspective. It's time to shift from the back of the room. It's time to check your ticket and go, actually, I, hey man, I've been sitting in the wrong seat. Because Jesus is like waving to you going, I saved your seat up here. Why don't you close your eyes just for a moment this morning?